Hello listeners, this is Mike Solosi. Retro Encounter is only a few weeks away from episode 150, and we're planning to make it a mailbag episode in which we respond to as many listener emails as we can. So if you wanted to send us a discussion topic idea, a question about the podcast, or a suggestion for a game journal episode in the future, please send an email to retro at rpgfan.com before we record the episode in mid-August. We are 100% going to choose at least one future episode from listener suggestions, but first we need those emails. So again, the email address is retro at rpgfan.com. We'll respond to as many messages as we can in episode 150. But that's enough for me. Now here is the latest episode of Retro Encounter. Hello, and welcome to episode 145 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly podcast. I am Mike Solosi, and I am your host today, as I have been many times in the past. Uh, now, if you've been following along with us in a relatively linear manner, you might remember that we are still in Lunar Month. RPG Fan is celebrating our past as LunarNet.com by having four episodes in a row discussing and celebrating the Lunar series of video games on the Sega CD and Saturn and PlayStation 1, and briefly on the GBA and PlayStation Portable, but maybe the less said about that last one, the better. Um, so we're finished talking about Lunar 1. Uh, Rob, Leona, and I had a lot of fun talking about that game, but now our panel has expanded for the Lunar 2 discussion, and let's introduce all of them now, starting with our returning podcasters, Rob Fenner. It's I, uh, bringing to the table the dance moves of Gene in the physique of Borgen. Hello, thank you for having me. Gypsy magic. And also, Leona McCallum. Hi there, uh, I'm a Leo fangirl. I, I am also a Leo <laughs> fangirl, so we, there will be plenty to talk about with him. And yes. uh, joining us uh, for Lunar 2, they, due to scheduling conflicts, they could not join us for Lunar 1, but we are expanded to 5 now, starting with Chris Gebauer. Oh, hey, everybody. I made it. <laughs> and also, <laughs> Twitch streamer extraordinaire, Scott Clay. I love this game and the previous game. Best games ever. All right. That's a strong take, but we can get there. Um, now, uh, I think at the very first Lunar episode, about two weeks ago... Rob, Leona, and I discussed our past histories with the Lunar series. We won't, uh, we won't bore you by repeating all of that, but the abridged version is that Robert has played all of, uh, several versions of Lunar dating back to the Sega CD version. Is that right, Rob? Uh, yeah, that's correct. I think I've played them all, not all the way through, but um, I have at least uh, had hands-on with every version of Lunar 1. Okay, and that is definitely not true of me. I played uh, the PS1 versions of Lunar and Lunar 2 about 14 or 15 years ago when I was in high school, but uh, and I'm replaying them for the first time, so it has been about, I think, 14 years since playing them, but I enjoyed my replay of Lunar 1 a lot, and I'm, uh, having, I'm also having fun delving back into Lunar 2, but Leona is playing the Lunar series for the first time, and uh, so Leona, do you have 
early impressions on Lunar 2 so far? Just We're at the roughly the halfway point. Uh, just two or three sentences impressions. Um, I really like it. I really like the characters. I like the the callbacks to the first game. I'm really enjoying it so far. All and right. I like an inventory system that's all one thing. <laughs> yes, no more like Dragon Quest but worse style individual inventories. Yes, no, no, please. Now, all right, Scott, yo, please go a little longer than uh, Rob, Leona, and I did. What is your basic personal history with Lunar 1 and 2, and uh, um, how are you finding this replay? Um, Lunar 1 and 2, like I said before, Lunar 1 and 2, my favorite games. Lunar 2 especially is my favorite game. Um, easily, um, I play this game at least 30 times. I think I play it like almost every year. It's like a, like a, almost like a tradition for me at this point to play this every year on time. And uh, I love it. I mean... There's things wrong with the games, but I just I just look past them most of the time because it's just so nostalgic for me to play this game again. Because not only does it fit in for everything for me for you know the game itself, but it's the reason why I'm here anyway. The reason why I'm here at RPG Fan because I came here because of Lunar Net. It's amazing. <laughs> Bless Lunar. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and Scott, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, last month, is towards the end of June, you were streaming Lunar One for the site on Twitch regularly. Am I, is that right? No, we are actually doing a Lunar stream today. The first okay. Lunar. We did Lunar 2, I think, two years ago. Uh, it was one of the second streams we did. This All is right. in the future, Scott. This <laughs> yeah. podcast is in the future. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, um, a few <laughs> weeks ago, you were you were streaming Lunar 1 for the uh, for the site. And, um, and are you thinking you're going to continue into Lunar 2 after that? Um, we may do a redo of Lunar 2, I'm not sure, it depends on how the time frame works with Octopath coming up, so, we'll see. But I would you love to do Dragon Song? Uh, no, that game doesn't <laughs> exist, okay? I don't know no. what you're talking about, I don't know what game that game is. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, I mean, that it sounds like, I'm sure there was some DS game named Dragon Song, because they used every yeah. possible iteration of the DS acronym. But certainly not for a lunar game. I don't know what you're talking about there. But Chris, your turn. What is your brief personal history with the Lunar series? Brief personal history, okay. Uh, when I first started collecting old RPGs, one of the first, I guess, brand, uh, well, I was going to say publishing wing, but I guess mostly through localization, all the rest of it, I collected a lot of working design games, and that got me to the Lunar series. And I played Lunar 1 for the first time last year. Uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. You know, Scott can said it, has been but I found it incredibly charming. And uh, then was hoping to play it again when we were putting together these series of episodes. And I finally took this as a good reason to get into Lunar 2. And here we are. Awesome. And yeah, we uh, we almost had all this, all five of these people and possibly even going into six podcasters for Lunar. There was a lot of enthusiasm among staff for the series in general. But it was due to scheduling conflicts. The Lunar 1 episodes just ended up being Rob, Leona, and I. But here we are to talk about Lunar 2. Um, now, I have a question for you, Rob, who uh, played Yo. these on the Sega CD games. And yeah. you brought uh, on the Sega CD, excuse me. Uh, you mentioned in the Lunar 1 episodes that uh, Alex was a silent protagonist, and mm-hmm. it, um, which might be part of why he was so boring in the, the, in the Lunar 1 uh, PS1 adaptation. Is, mm-hmm. is that, was that the same of, was the same true of Hero? Was Definitely he... not. Okay. Um, Hero was as uh, talkative and as venture, and he's always been as 
talkative and adventurous as he as he was in the uh, PS1 remake. Um, the thing about the Lunar remakes is like every remake of Lunar One is vastly different from one another. You know, uh, the Silver Star uh, story uh, remake on Saturn that was later adapted or ported to PlayStation that. Um, you know, that changed the soundtrack, added the script, added in all this stuff that they didn't have time to complete uh, when that Sega CD version dropped. However, the Sega CD Lunar 2 was already pretty much a complete game. So they've just, you know, they've tightened up uh, a few like graphical um, graphical bits and pieces. They made a few changes, some that I think are kind of for the worse. Uh, but this is, I've never played this version. Um, I've only played the Sega CD hmm. version. And this oh, okay. is, um, it's pretty much how i remember the sega cd version being it's really really similar are differences more like translation stuff or uh, it's pretty much the same script as far as i can tell okay i mean there's I, I'm, there's definitely a mr ed joke missing from the uh wagon bird at uh, Jesus <laughs> camp but um aside from that it's it's about it's about what it was because it is the same localization team like working designs yep. did all of the lunar games and yep. uh and you know, that first game has a vastly expanded script for PlayStation, and that's not really the case here. Okay. Yep. Now, you did also allude, maybe this was off-air, that there were the save system in Lunar 2 for the Sega CD is a little weird. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> working Designs in Victor Ireland have a reputation for increasing the difficulty of games that they brought over because they thought they were too easy, whatever that means. So, you know, famously, they um, they messed with integers for Exile, Wicked Phenomenon, and Silhouette Mirage and made those two games nearly unbeatable. Um, Lunar 2 didn't get such a bad, uh, bad butchering, um, but they did include a... A third currency, um, dragon points, uh, which you need to save the game. So uh, if you don't, uh, if, if you're in a tough spot and you need to save, you better hope that you have a steady supply of dragon points to save. And of course, like going up levels, every time you save, uh, the you need more and more dragon points. It's a wow. really bad and stupid system to put in a 30-hour RPG. And I'm glad that uh, he didn't replicate it in this remake. That's crazy. Get that save your schnook. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I am extremely glad I don't have to deal with dragon points. Just just hearing about them from you and and briefly looking them up uh, within the past <laughs> yeah. two, within the past week or two, just you know, was almost ready to give me nightmares. Um, but anyway, we don't have to deal with that. We there's a roughly save anywhere system in uh, Lunar Two for the PS One that I'm very grateful for. Hmm. And anyway, the the game starts out with a uh, hero and his and his. Uh, baby dragon compa compatriot ruby exploring a big tower running away you meet uh and you it's very meet... uh record scratch you might wonder how i got in this situation i thought that <laughs> yeah. exact same thing i was gonna say that how dare you steal my joke <laughs> oh no i'm so sorry <laughs> great minds great minds yeah and uh we're also briefly introduced to gwyn and the greatest character in the game leo uh while hero yeah. is escaping the tower <laughs> When, uh, you know, let's see, how do I put this? Um, girl falls from the sky and boy meets girl. Boy decides to help girl that fell from the sky. She's very pretty. Mm. Yes. Uh, he, powerful thirst in that desert. Yeah, yes. Hero's infatuation for Lucia <laughs> is a early recurring theme in this game. <laughs> um, so, Scott, uh, you've mentioned 
a couple times that this is that this is one of the greatest games of all time alongside it its is? presser lunar one alongside its predecessor lunar one so uh what is your what what is your overall impression of the hero lucia relationship i mean if you see a magical girl come down from the heavens i think you'd be infatuated or too she's beautiful she got blue hair too so <laughs> that counts i mean it's it's a little weird i mean but he's an adventurous person i mean he sees someone from possibly from like out of space or somewhere he doesn't know where she's from i mean i think he has a good idea maybe from you know the blue star but at the same time it's like oh he wants to embark on that adventure yeah Mm -hmm. it's like this is amazing he's the the sense of adventure from him is just overflowing he's like now i meet someone from here it's not even maybe like love at first sight it's more like i want to go where this girl goes because there's adventure waiting for me all right now scott i'm going to ask you a very important question and everyone else i'm uh, i want your thoughts on this too uh, what's the better Lucia outfit, the red cloak and cape from the beginning, or the change into shorts at the caravan about about seven or eight hours in? The gypsy outfit for sure. The, okay. the shorts, the whole, the shawl, that works much better. All right. I disagree. You've, you've seen my Twitter post, and it was my most <laughs> successful Twitter post to date. <laughs> I have mixed opinions. I think the drawing of the red outfit looks good, but I like the spray of the gypsy outfit. Interesting. Okay, Chris. Uh, yeah. uh, um, Gypsy or Blue Star? How, what? Who you got? Uh, I kind of like the regal look of the of the Blue Star, but it's way more practical to be going around in shorts in the desert. Yeah, there, there, there's a desert unusually close to like tundra and snowy mountains in this game. Like, like in, oh, yeah. in, in general, video like game biomes. Types. Yeah, video game biomes and ecology don't often make sense, but uh, they. No. Oh, they never do. It's it's always like the fireplace is in the middle of the ice mountain. Don't worry mm. about it. Yeah, but I also I wonder uh, if you think to the end of Lunar One, uh, the Earth or I'm sorry, uh, the planet of Lunar or the moon of Lunar, because I think Lunar is a moon and the blue star is an mm-hmm. Earth-like planet. Yes. Uh, exactly. Yeah, Lunar briefly has almost almost all of its life and ecology stripped from it and then it gets restored during the uh sort of the climax of the game at the top of the goddess tower do we think that maybe the planet's been recovering over the past thousand years or so if like like it was briefly extremely desolate and now is sort of more desert-like and a little bit less lush than it was during alex's time because of that or am i overthinking it I think so, personally. I mean, it seems like um, it seems like a world that has gone through a um, long ago cataclysm, and that is recover. And you know, it literally did. Um, and it seems like things are just finally starting to uh, become more habitable. Yeah, you definitely see that through the rest of the game, um, especially toward the later parts of the game, and especially, um, I guess, uh, it's more of a spoiler, so it's probably past where we're at right now. But like. And you kind of learn more about that as you go through the game. Okay, and and I guess I should mention, I, I rarely mention spoilers on this podcast because it's implied that we spoil the hell out of every game we're talking about. But uh, listeners, we are going to discuss this through the, only through the first half of Lunar 2, ending after the events of the city of Pentagulia. So uh, we're going to get right into all of those dragon caves with, with the uh, second part of this podcast next week. But, yeah, um, I, I, rem- like, I remember uh, playing the end of Lunar 1 a week or a couple weeks ago. Again, we're living in the future here for the podcast. And, you know, someone who studied ecology and geology at university uh, was pretty taken aback by, like, having all of a plant's life 
um, disappeared and restored. And it's like, no, 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 this is, it, it takes millions of years to fully recover from, uh, from and like an extirpation or extinction level event like that. So just like, I, I think that maybe portraying Lunar as a recovering world made a little more sense. But again, I'm probably mm. overthinking it. But maybe, I, I don't know, maybe there's some truth well, to that. If we look at if we look at the fashions of Lunar One, um, you know they evoke that sort of Northern Europe, um, uh, colder climate, and um, the right. the locales of uh, Lunar Two are definitely not that. But it is the same world because you know you you eventually go back to places from Lunar One. Yeah, a lot more Middle Eastern, I think. Hmm. Yeah, people are, are like in sort of arid climate wrappings and not sort of colder wrappings. We- Mm-hmm. Yeah. But 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 the but the the aesthetic is similar though, like the, the sort of the colorful. Yeah, uh, same world, clouds. different culture. Yeah. Or slightly different world, same culture. <laughs> it's a it it, it it well I think I think that there's at least a through line there. Like both lunar and lunar one and lunar two have a sort of consistent aesthetic, and uh, they also can uh, have the sort of more humanoid people and the more beast-like people living roughly in harmony. Because uh, mm-hmm. um, because uh, Leo and Maori are two beast people that are in positions of power, but I think the game is mostly hum- uh, full humans, right? Yeah, Grandpa Gwen yeah. is a beast man as well. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. but they, I don't think you see well, many of them. I was gonna say, but we have met mostly humans. Yeah, at yes. this point. And they, uh, I think they get briefly into sort of human beastman racism in a lunar game that does not exist that I probably shouldn't have mentioned at all. Uh, that may or may not have been on the DS, but well, the less That's we talk about that, the better. So anyway, uh, Lucia falls from the sky, and within me- minutes of meeting her, we learn that she is a messenger of sort from the Blue Star. I-, I think I accidentally, or I should say incorrectly, stated that she was another incarnation of the goddess in the uh, in one of the Lunar One episodes, but I was mistaken. Again, I haven't played this game oh. in uh, in 14 years or something. But she's a messenger from the Blue Star, here, and she wants to meet the goddess to report to her on something. That's unclear yet, but we will definitely learn later. But she's interrupted by Zophar, a malevolent entity that is uh, in Lunar and slowly taking over, or may have already almost taken over. Uh, maybe I'm misremembering this, but th- there wasn't a lot of talk of Zophar prior to that. Was it, did he have anything back in Lunar One? I don't because no, no, there's no mention of Zophar at all. You know, no. I hate to reference TV tropes, but Giant Space Flea from nowhere is um, is Zophar in a nutshell. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, they never really go over what happens in the the Blue Star in Lunar 1. They really never kind of talk about it at all. Well, anyway, um, we're in Lunar 2 now, and the Church of the Goddess is far expanded. Um, is, would we call it Church of the Goddess or just uh, just general worship of the goddess Althena? Do, it, what do they it's call like that? A full, it's like a theocracy now, really. Yeah, but because they while, still call it the Church of Althena, Yeah, they, they call it the Church. Yeah. They do call it the Church? Okay, I, I yeah. wasn't 100% certain on that. But, like, well... There was a pretty sizable temple to Althena in Lunar 1, and she definitely was widely worshipped. It's not nearly to the extent that happens in Lunar 2. In Lunar 2, there's a church to Althena in basically every town. The uh, Instead of having a single church building with a tower, it's a giant standalone floating city with five towers. Mm. And, um, and uh, the... The church isn't usually aggressive. There's people asking for uh, money. Or I should say the chosen, which are the people of the church, are asking for money at uh, every opportunity. To, if you want to use one of the healing statues at the church, you have to pay a hundred a uh, hundred silver, which I did by accident once. Somebody Donations, in, they're not in the early um, money. 
in the early town of Dalton, uh, somebody uh, wearing the church's robes was seen in, in the night smashing the uh, public use um, uh, statue. So it's like the the myths are true, and the goddess does have this like blessing healing power, but the church has like kind of figured out a way to you know harness that to fill their pockets. Monetize yeah, I mean, to the nth degree. <laughs> it's also crazy how in so many of the, a bunch of the cities that you don't have, let's say, an official church or uh, sanctuary, they'll find a way to occupy someone else's home and build a shrine <laughs> in there as well, yeah. which I love. It's a great little detail of like, no, 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 expansion is happening for me in this work. Where don't you love work. the goddess? Give me your house. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a little yeah, crazy. You're a fan. I, I, you're I, an old I, man. You're going to die soon. A lot of chosen will uh, talk about how proud they are for having given up all their worldly possessions, and uh, and some towns have sort of more resi- more or less resistance to it. Like uh, um, Nota, the town that's sort of divided by a bridge to east and west sides, uh, it's a very mercantile town, and the I think a few of the merchants in Nota are like like man, the chosen are crazy from giving up their businesses. What are they What are they doing? And it's uh, and like the church has almost divided the town against itself, and I think it's rare that the church has a good influence on any of the towns you visit. Uh, the, mm. the worst one might have been, oh shoot, uh, the, the, um, Azado, the, the town that has yeah. the big lighthouse in it, which yeah. uh, mm-hmm. somehow like everyone seems very pious there and is also very concerned not to go out at night because you learn at night uh, the entire town burns and anyone that doesn't that that isn't safely at their home uh, possibly gets their soul burned away or something. It's 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 pretty dark what happens there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and also the the different people within the church have different reactions to it. Like uh, like Ron Farr, who if it wasn't for Leo would probably be my favorite character, is a former priest who's dis- who's become disillusioned with the church and is now a gambler and womanizer. And Ron Farr's best friend Leo is a one of the four heroes of the church and is very pious and and righteous. And but he is uh, experiencing the dark side of it for the first time when he sees the events in Azado, and uh, and and uh, and other things. So. I mean, this game is almost a buildings roman for Leo at times. Hmm. But we don't need to get into that analogy, I promise. But uh, so it's it's interesting having these people within the church react to it differently, and also it's interesting to me how much different the goddess's influence is in Lunar Two versus Lunar One. Where in Lunar One, she was again acknowledged and popular, but not you know, uh, not not a theocracy, not not corrupt in this way. Uh, and I mean, oh boy, we could probably have an entire episode on how JRPGs uh, don't enjoy, don't appreciate organized religion very much. I think yeah, this right. is one of the better um, depictions of that. I remember this came out like just after Breath of Fire Two, which also oh did boy. a pretty good job. But <laughs> Breath, of this... 2, <laughs> Breath of Fire Two, Breath of Fire Two does not have a a happy church. No, it, it, no, it Breath of Fire Two is not Dragon Quest Four. <laughs> but like, I think, I think like Lunar One and Two, they've got opposite thesis statements like lunar one is this utopic world where um you know the question is like what if somebody with power tries to uh compromise um compromise the ruling religious body and lunar two is okay this religious body has been compromised for possibly hundreds of years how can we what can we do about it and it's not quite as I mean, they're still they're pretty light games, but the overall tone of the world is a lot less optimistic in Lunar Two. Yeah, for most of Lunar Two, uh, your team is you know 
trying a lot of to oppression. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to journey to Pentagulia with Lucia, who the church has labeled as a destroyer and a, or some kind of heretic. So you're being hunted or chased for a lot of the journey of the first half of the game. And uh, but eventually you get to Pentagulia, uh, the different characters sort of confront their counterparts, and then it moves into a new phase. But uh, let's talk about those characters a little bit briefly. I, we mentioned Leo and Ron Farr. Um, starting with you, Scott, uh, what are your thoughts on Ron Farr in general, the, uh, the gambling, fun-loving priest that you meet fairly early on? I mean, I like Ron Farr, but at, like, you looking back, it's, it's, he's such a creation of the 90s, or at least like the 90s or the, the 80s. Like, he's, the, way, the way he talks, the way he says, his quote lines and stuff like that, he's, he's such a reminiscence about like that late 90s, early 90s cultures. I mean, that's what working designs the best when it came to localization and stuff like that. I'm not sure about how he is in Japanese, but I mean, just, he's such a great, um, fun character that reminds you of just some of the cool things in the nineties and some of the cool things he says, I guess, but I like him. I, I like him too. Uh, he's sort of a fun version of a rough around the edges, uh, crude drinking, womanizing, gambling character, but, but generally has, I think has a, Mostly positive message, even though I don't always uh, love his choice of terminology. Uh, Leona, this is your first time playing Lunar 2. What do you think of Ronfar? Um, I like Ronfar. It reminds me a lot of Kyle from the first game. Mm. In the way he's mm -hmm, sort yeah. of like a drinker and a womanizer. I, I like him. <laughs> he's, he's a he's a he's a he's out like, of the mold like, healer like Jessica was. She was sort of sort of like uh, the more. I'll smack you with a stick, healer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Lunar games always did the, the healer is not a crutch after they loses all its MP, can still have to do other things. Yeah, it nice. still has a big stick. And I like how both Jessica and Ron Farr have, you know, at least medium-sized attack power. It's a little bit yeah. annoying having your you know, a party's white mage useless when they aren't able to heal. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on uh, Ron Farr, your sort of first permanent party member? You know, kind of like what a lot of people said, uh, definitely language used, certain turns of phrase, all the rest of it, both positive and negative, are a little, you know, very much of their era. But he's a fun-loving character. Again, says more than he should, especially around uh, women, and that gets him into trouble. But it's all done, at least from what I've seen and played through so far, it's done in good jest. And thankfully it hasn't been... You know, what is always the fear with a lot of JRPGs, just tasteless staring. And we have some of those moments here, but I don't think, unlike a lot of other stuff, it, it ever gets too far, too absurd. It's actually pretty tame. I don't think it ever comes from a bad place. No, like, exactly. No. It's yeah, very he's, earnest. It's yeah. very earnest. Yeah, he's, he, at, at his core, he's a good guy. He's a, he's a good guy. Yeah. He's a good character. He doesn't even... Yeah, some, sometimes there's, you know, there's weird like homophobia or sexism that shows through in these old RPGs, which, you know, it, you can use the, it was a different time kind of excuse for it. But I don't, I don't think Lunar 2 is, is very bad no, in that regard. No, no not at all. But I, it's interesting always when I, whenever I'm playing through old RPGs, there's always that feeling of, I wonder if this game will have some of those moments that'll make me question yeah, for, it. For me, it's playing, it's playing old RPGs and reading old comic books. It's like, oh, this is, this is some very uncomfortable casual sexism. And but, this but, is dated. Yeah, but this is, um, Lunar 2 is, again, not, not really bad in that regard. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, so yeah, I gotta say, I, 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 was, I was impressed that he's a, as fun as he is. And also, like, his fire dice spell helped me a little bit sometimes, because for a while, that's the only fire move that you have. 
Oh yeah. yeah, and it is a great, great way to just clear out whatever the powerful enemy is on the board each time. All right, uh, Rob. Um, let's. Uh, do you have any specific thoughts on Ronfar, or should we move into uh, Leo and and how those two are, you know, best buds going through a rough patch? I got a few <laughs> thoughts. I mean, um, I'm like elephant in the room is I wish that Ronfar didn't use the R word so much, but I don't think that's Ronfar's fault. I think that's Victor Ireland's fault. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> There's that. Um, that kind of put me off seeing that. Um, however, um, Ronfar, Ronfar and Leo are like neck and neck for my favorite characters in this game. And part of that is um, Ronfar... I've got an issue with the party in this game. I'm like, I pretty much like all the characters, but Ronfar is really the only one who has a reason to join. Um, later characters just kind of force their mm -hmm. way into the party, some more egregiously than others. But like Ronfar... He probably like gets well. No, the other characters do get attention to their arc, but with Ronfar, like joining the party is about this. Um, it's it's a redemption story that doesn't quite feel as tacked on as as some of the other characters do. Um, I, I also I think I, 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 well, yes, I, I'm mostly with you. I mean, I, I like Lemina and Jean, who we will talk to uh, talk about mm -hmm. in a few minutes, but. I think their arcs are a little backloaded. Like you don't, you don't really see their reason for being and reason for accompanying until they are uh, until significantly after they join. While while but they Ron do just kind of force their way in. Yeah, yeah. But, but but Ron yeah, Far yeah. like um, uh, Hero and Ruby and Lucia seek him out. Then mm. they uh, they sort of mutually help each other. They reach an understanding, and then Ron Far accompanies with uh, accompanies you and still has his arc continue. Like his his seems to have more of a beginning and middle and end, while Jean and yeah. Lemina may maybe only have a middle and end. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I feel you though. I also like I like that he's like the ladies' man who everybody in the party just thinks is a bit of a joke. Um, <laughs> in a game that would come out nowadays, he'd probably be super horny and i wouldn't have time for that and he's, he's not so much horny as or perverted as he is just flirtatious um that said i think lunar 2 is a much hornier game than its prequel um <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know i don't know if i agree with that no I, um the first game doesn't have a have like a peeping at the changing and a hot spring segment okay um well <laughs> the, the thing i i guess there's a difference between like between horny and romantic then i guess because the thing about lunar one that i think is interesting about those characters is that they're almost defined by romantic pairs they are because uh, but... like, like i mean uh uh L luna and alex are childhood friends who clearly are interested in each other uh mm -hmm. alec uh jessica and kyle are exes that had a relationship and their relationship is you know uh, is brought to the forefront a couple times, and then uh, Nash is devoted to Mia, and when Mia's mm -hmm. introduced, it's almost as, oh, this is the girl that Nash is crazy about, and then their relationship stuff happens to a head. Like, Lunar 1, its characters are partially defined by those relationships, and Lunar 2 might might be hornier for Ronfar's Ron discussion and all of the, uh, <laughs> all of the gazing that uh, Hero does to Lucia, but yeah, when it, I'm doesn't have, horny, it doesn't have I as mean... much romance in it. I mean, um, uh, player-oriented anime fan service scenes, sure. which I, the first game is largely we, devoid of. Are we including the bromides into this? Because I mean, yeah, <laughs> those we can. Those weren't in the original game. Both of those games do have bromides. And I don't think that Lunar Two has uh, um, three powerful women in S and M gear as recurring characters. Yes, That's true. It does, it does have a, a bromide of Brogan, so um, 
Oh my. Yeah. Good. Okay, uh, that settles it. Lunar 2 is definitely um, hornier than Lunar 1. Final thought on uh, Ron Farr. Uh, this has not happened to me in this version. I hope it doesn't. I hope they've taken it out. But uh, the all attack dice skill that Ron Farr has, um, if you got Snake Eyes on Sega CD, that was an instant party wipe and you were back to the title screen. No. I know. I, I think I have gotten in, uh, Snake Eyes this time. I think, I think, I think you just, just take a little bit of damage. Huh? Yeah, I think Ron Farr takes yeah. damage and that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's he it. Just take damage. So, yeah, that's that. <laughs> All right, you know, I think I want to save Leo for last. So let's talk about Jean a little bit. Um, Jean joins sort of suddenly when you find her caravan and are captivated by her dancing. And then it, it happens almost too quickly. It's revealed that she has um, prodigious martial arts skills within five minutes of meeting her. And then you save the caravan accompanied by Jean from a plant monster. Um, Plantella, and... she's a babe. Plantella. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, Lunar 2 is hornier than Lunar 1, I agree. Lunar 1's more romantic and Lunar 2 is hornier. I, I accept this now. But uh, it, it almost happens very quickly. Like, within 15 minutes of meeting Jean, you defeat a plant monster with her. She reveals that she was a uh, kidnapped child of a martial arts cult and now uh, wants to seek out a martial arts master named Master Lun to try and, uh, to try and like, suss out that cult and... Um, and 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 make sure that nothing happens to other children like what happened to her, which is really fast for uh, for learning backstory, um, uh, faster than Ronfar either even because like you learn about Ronfar's past with Leo and Maori again within 20 minutes of meeting him, but it seems to happen almost <laughs> even more suddenly with Jean. Um, but like, what do you what are your thoughts on Jean in general? And this is again we're only talking about the first half of the game because Jean goes from my you know me liking her to her being maybe my favorite character by the second half but uh but she's a little less cool in the first half of lunar 2 um uh, chris what are your early impressions of gene well you know kind of tagging on what uh rob was just going into about ron far and having far more uh, kind of a justified entrance into the party i really felt the whole gene segment like okay so this is clearly going to be a character who's going to join and then it just happens She's like, ah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go yep. with you guys. It's like, all right. I, I mean, okay, cool. I guess we're there now. Extra person in the party. That's great. I think she's a great character in terms of uh, her writing is fun. She has no problem, you know, telling Ron Far that he's being an idiot, uh, which I just absolutely love. And she also, I, I do love all the lines, especially after the uh, costume changing sequence of peeking, how she constantly teases uh, Hero about being into girls and making him uncomfortable. And I do enjoy all the dialogue of him saying, please stop making me embarrassed and her going, no, this is just fun. <laughs> like, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep making you squirm because good it's God, fun. it's fun. Uh, she's a, she's a joyous, I don't know. She's a, she's a good spark plug energy wise for the group, uh, especially before Lemina joins, but it really, it all, and it's not unique to Lunar 2, but it was, a little jarring to me that she was just suddenly there. I honestly thought there was going to be one more uh, activity or one more quick sojourn with Jean somewhere before she was going to suddenly just be like, all right, now I'm going to go with you guys. It was very much, I can't do this. My past is very dark and, and mysterious. And you know what? I should confront that past. It's like, okay, we got there in legitimately a five-second window. Yeah, but, I, I, I'm, hey. I'm I'm less surprised by her joining quickly, and more surprised by discovering her secret past within five minutes of meeting her. Of and that, yeah, it, yeah. I, I thought that that feels like something that would have happened later, but no, like they, um, 
both for Ronfar and Jean, we learn about their, you know, their their dark, tortured secrets within a few minutes of meeting them. Uh, yeah, Leona, Leona, you're the other uh, Lunar Two newbie along with Chris. What are your thoughts on Jean? I like Jean. I think she's uh, fun. Um, the way you meet her, uh, it didn't bother me. If I'm honest, I didn't think it was that fast. I felt like, you know, it's like I did feel like you're going about gathering party members, but I, you know, I like a quick pace in my RPGs. Uh, so True. I wasn't mind like that's how she would have to leave the caravan. It would have to be a reason for her to go. So knowing that she has to meet this martial arts master that's totally not evil uh, was uh, it, I was okay with how fast her backstory was kind of told, and it comes up again like a few times later through the game. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not revealed all at once, but it kind of is. It reminds me a lot of. Um, it's that old anime sort of like trope where the kidnapped children raised by an evil martial arts master. Uh, it reminds me of a lot of a character from Trails in the Sky, but I won't go too into it for spoilers. It reminds me of the uh, of the old manga and anime Angel Heart for uh, right. I'll add that one, <laughs> which, which I think is also made into like a Jackie Chan movie. That's not really the same as the as the comic, yeah. but w- w- whatever. Yeah, it comes up a lot. It does. You see it and you're like, oh, okay, we're doing this story this time. <laughs> All right, and, and and but again, I'm sticking to the first half of Lunar Two. Uh, Rob, what are your thoughts on Jean in general? Um, I like Jean. Um, I didn't remember her revealing the backstory right away in the Sega CD version. I don't know if that's just my memory being faulty or or what. Um, I like that uh, we've got a woman of color in the party, and um, we kind of get into some of the politics of Lunar's world in in this time period where her gypsy troop are facing. Uh, prosecution for their uh, persecution for their lifestyle Hmm. um so um it's not really touched upon that much i mean it's really just touched upon rather than you know going into detail um but they are seen as like second class citizens who are good for you know entertaining and then moving from town to town but not i I think people i think the the church's problem is that they're basically godless and and and, uh in full entertainment yeah drinking and dancing and joy yeah fun stuff Mm-hmm. Um, I would totally watch a remake of Footloose set in the world of Runa 2. <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, think of Footloose when all the, the dancing and singing band of like, oh, where's uh, Kevin Bacon? Yeah, exactly. I am. Just need a few green tattoos. Kevin Bacon would basically be playing Ron Farr, but in Gene's role, and I'm 100% into that. Wow. <laughs> is, is Kevin Bacon wearing the gypsy uniform? Oh, you this know? is good. I watch it. All right, well, well, maybe not her gypsy uniform, but we know that those tents have a lot of clothes because we got treated to a Lucia fashion show at one point. So maybe he's wearing Lucia's shorts? Yeah. Or the clown outfit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We got to make that happen, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> we'll find Kevin you. Bacon. We'll find him. Chris, you're an actor. All actors know each other, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I got was you. It, was it Six we'll Degrees of Kevin Bacon? Is that, like, literally it? <laughs> I mean, I'll have to look at the Lunar yeah, Two voice actor sheet like and it. see if we can make make six degrees of Ke- Lunar Two to Kevin Bacon happen. Oh, that, this sounds like me exploring IMDb for an hour and then getting frustrated <laughs> and then yelling at the at your screen. So uh, uh, Scott, again, trying to keep to the first half of Lunar Two because Gene does have a uh, have a uh, you know a conclusion to yeah. her arc in the second half of the game. Uh, what are your thoughts on her in general? I like that uh, you learn about her so fast. I mean, I'm with I'm with Leona on this. It's I, I like when characters don't have to hide stuff or they're, they're not afraid to hide stuff. It kind of goes with the whole gypsy thing. She's, you know, she's upfront about herself. She's like, this is who I am. If you can't accept that, you know, 
that's fine. But yep. you know, I'm, that's who I am, and I like that. I also like the fact that she's like one of the only JRPG characters that uses like fans as weapons instead of like hitting people with them. She like throws them, chucks them at people. It's actually, kind of cool battle. Yeah. This is, well, this is about 15 years before Persona 4. Yeah. And uh, a lot of Persona Lunar comparisons. Yeah. And there's, there's, um, including there's, the actual Persona enemies, the masks. There's fans in a couple Dragon Quest games, but I don't know, I don't know if any of them are before Lunar Two, but yeah, it, um, fans are a, a relatively uncommon JRPG weapon. So, and um, they're a fabulous weapon. Yeah, yeah. they're very fabulous. <laughs> and very and it's, fabulous. it's nice that she has global range on all of them while being a pretty good attacking character. That's yeah, a, yeah. Mm. Because like space and movement is a is a part of both Lunar games, and um, Lunar Two mm-hmm. basically retains the same combat from Lunar One. We discussed Lunar combat in pretty good detail in uh, the first Lunar mm-hmm. One episode, I think. Um, there's you know, there's movement and attack number and range and range stats that uh, you know your melee characters uh, need to be in range to attack. There, a lot of it, um, spells and skills have uh, have different ranges and different zones of effect that you need to. Um, take care of, but I, I don't think the combat ever really got in the way for me personally. Um, it, the the uh, characters in general have more skills in Lunar 2 than in Lunar 1, so there's more variety to combat. But I, yeah. I, I mostly yeah, think it's fun. A lot more range choices as well for each character. You know, some yeah. characters in Lunar 1 were kind of if they were out of range, they were kind of stuck. But everyone kind of has like a ranged ability of some form or another. And, and if they don't, you can... I mean, you have the whole crest system in Lunar 2, which lets you yeah. make mm-hmm. new spells and stuff for people, which is actually really useful for a lot of characters and kind of overpowered for a lot of part of the games. But I like it. It's fun. Yeah, it, it, it at least makes um, Earth and Lightning and non-elemental magic available to any character. And ba- basically, any character can learn at least some spells as opposed to Lunar 1 when everyone's basically set in their ways. Uh, mm. the, 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 there's going to be no Kyle situations where you get only four skills and that's it. Yeah. 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 And it's also nice having your, your uh, skills and spells transform a little bit. I, uh, but I, again, I'm someone who likes, you know, transforming things. So <laughs> uh, I guess it's playing to my tastes a little bit. Uh, so I guess we've gone through Ron <laughs> Far and Gene. The right way. <laughs> and now, uh, but shortly after Gene joins, I think uh, maybe my least favorite part of the game so far uh, with Lemina and the Ghost Manor. Yep, most egregious yep. character join. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, I don't mind her joining. I just think that dungeon sucks, and the boss is a pain in the ass. Um, so much better in the Sega CD version. Oh, really? Okay. Maybe that's... Is it? Uh, that, that could yeah. be um, working designs messing with integers again, because that... that... No, it's completely different. Yeah. Okay. How so? Um, what is it like in the Sega CD version? In the Sega CD version, it's like the Resident Evil Mansion, um, and like you, before you go into different rooms, like you read like a hint on how you're going to tackle um, a monster in a specific room. So like it hints to like put Susie mm. Death to sleep, and then like all of the monsters that you fight, like they initially p- appear as ghosts, but then when you hit their weak point, they're revealed to be robots, and then you can just take them out. And then oh, that's way you f- cooler. That's you fight that. Fun. Yeah, so it looks really Sorry. good. It looks like a big spooky house, and it's not those hallways, and it's just like a handful of set encounters. And then you fight that big silly robot at the end, who's pretty much the same, but it plays the goofy music from the intro instead of the boss theme, and I like that more. <laughs> <laughs> that's it plays with the absurdity than... of the whole the whole yeah. dungeon rather than actually trying to make it. See. Yeah, that's that's way more flavorful. Mm. Yeah, that's much more interesting because I, I thought that the. Uh... That the house dungeon was just 
annoying and the the boss weird at tunnels the end, it's not yeah, good and the boss at the end um I, I don't know i had to exhaust my entire supply of sp to beat it and it uh and it took me i think two or three tries it, i i got unlucky and it would kill ron far in one turn and then that was just a cycle of despair uh yeah but uh, but uh, I don't I don't think any challenge in the game has been at that level yet. Like it was the most it was the most frustrating and challenging part of the game, and everything after it has been much much easier. Uh, yeah. did, am, am, am yep. I am I just a moron, or did you guys struggle nope. with that a little bit too? I had the same thing, especially with that boss. In that yeah, I got there, was out of MP with all my characters, and had to burn through uh, way too many consumables just to get through it wasn't exactly you know brutally difficult it was a little bit more of just a battle of attrition kind of situation and that was frustrating yeah, i think that's always i think that's always been like the lunar's difficulty is where mp management has always been like unlike other games Front where you, you're always limited yeah you're always limited in what you can carry well in the first one especially but in the second one still you can only carry so much of right. certain items and it's like you really need to like buckle down on your mp management otherwise you get to the boss and it's like oh you're scared. There's no tense. There's no tense. There's nothing to refill mm -hmm. your MP most of the time. Yeah, the I've first... come up with a little bit of a technique to manage that that really came in handy in the ghost house was that like I ran through it once and got all the chests. Boy, the chests in these games in this game is not are not very good. Um, but I ran through and I got the chests and then like I worked back to town healed and then like kind of made a beeline for the boss and it Smart. helped me kind of mitigate my resources. Yeah, I am. And have full MP and then try to blast through it yeah I, I didn't realize i should have picked up on this but the boss is uh um much more weak to magic than physical attacks so i the first yeah. two the first two times i fought it i wasted all of my mp using post sword instead of boomerang when mm. boomerang costs half as much and deals yeah. more damage deals yeah more you damage. never realize boomerang does win magic until it yeah actually to that fight i think I, I I had a uh, well uh, I I think I knew that boomerang was magic I just had it in my head oh Alex is an attacking character yeah. boomerang's useless compared to post sword but I I you know started experimenting around in maybe the third time I fought it and like oh oh no this is much better and then I won. Freudian slip. Does hero really not that have that much of a personality? <laughs> um. You said, you said I, Alex. <laughs> oh, I said Alex. I, oh yeah. God, I, I I probably have already made that mistake in this episode because I um. Hero right. Hero reminds me of Justin from Grandia, which is again from the same developer. Uh -huh. Because his, very much so. Yeah, yes, the, his, much the so. defining part of his personality is how much he loves adventure. But I mean, as you're playing through the game, I mean, really, what's to Hero other than adventure and being devoted to Lucia? I don't know. There's a mm -hmm. lot there. I'm just so excited about adventures. <laughs> and just you know, like as a you know uh, light-skinned person with brown hair, uh, all of us look basically the same, right? Isn't... Pretty much. <laughs> I've read that somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, okay. Uh, after that frustrating, annoying dungeon, Lemon joins, or at least you... I'm not sure if she joins you or you join her, because you basically <laughs> ag agree to join her magic. She guild. won't leave. Whether... <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she just will not leave you. And she has a magic carpet that is, you know, questionable magic levels. That uh, that you use as an exit to the um to the manor that you know allows for a you know comic falling from the sky moment a little bit of a you know wily e coyote briefly you know hovering in midair before dropping kind of scene. Now you had a very um, interesting interpretation of Lemina that you briefly mentioned in our last episode. 
um, of who who she could be the possible, you know, following the lineage of. Oh, yeah. Because um, I, I think she has, a, like, Mia's moveset and Nash's personality to a degree. Uh, yeah. And, and Certainly, but, like, Nash's confidence and, like, skills that can't really back it up. I mean, she's not stuck <laughs> under, like, a basket with a banana, but she does mess up that magic <laughs> carpet pretty quickly. Also, uh, I, I like the in this version of events where she's a descendant of Nash and Mia, that, that means that Nash took Mia's last name, which I think is, you know, fitting for him. <laughs> Correct. Uh, <Yeah. laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's... If not a hundred percent certain, at, at least that's that, that's a reasonable assumption. It's it's probable that she's a descendant of Nia and Mash, uh, Nia and Mash, uh, Mia and Nash. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just completely messing up everyone's name today. It's that deck, don't worry. You're yeah, but uh, I think Lemon gets uh, like at first she's almost annoying. It's like okay, I'm just gonna keep you around because I really like having multi-hitting fire and ice spells. But um, after you get to Vane yeah. and you learn a little bit more about her. Uh, motivations i i like her much much more um because like like Vane has fallen from the sky and has been sort of crumbling for a thousand years and she's determined to uh bring the magic guild back up to prominence and uh have Vane flying again which is you know a, a cool reference to the world state at the end of lunar one and also uh, maybe not a shock but a, a bit of a you know eye-opening moment like um Vane has still been crashed to the ground for a thousand years so mm. uh, following Lunar One, it's like, oh damn, okay. Now now I now I feel I actually have a little bit of empathy for Lemon and now. And before yeah. it's like, what are you doing here, Blondie? <laughs> yeah, it's not easy to fix what's happened before, and she's trying very hard. And also, she um, she seems to have a money raising competition going on with one of <laughs> Ramus's descendants, and Ramus has a bit of a crush on her, and I I am very into both of those ideas. <laughs> She's almost almost got a bit of a thing for him as well. I, I almost. Think, I think she has some respect for him, but is, does, mm. is not enamored she's with him of, the way that he's enamored with her. She's kind of flirting back, though. She's like, mm, well, you know, you're going to get on my level, you know, and then we'll see. I think she's yeah, just good for the money, though, because if she realizes, you know, well, he's got a lot of money, I, I flirt a little bit, you know? I don't know. I think she would come right out and say that, though. I think she just enjoys yeah. the fact that there's a little competition in her life. Yeah, I, I'm not saying this is a uh, this is a, a clear romantic pairing that we have on. I'm, I'm just oh, no. I'm just happy for Ramus that he's had descendants and that, and at least and, and at least was and at least was successful at one point in running his store. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, he accomplished a thing in his existence. Yeah, but it, it is cool that Lemina um, gets you know gets a uh, you know a uh, what's the word I'm trying to think a a, a likable backstory because she doesn't have mm-hmm. the greatest first impression. But I, I do appreciate that she doesn't tell her entire backstory in the first 15 minutes like Jean and Ronfar do. <laughs> but mm-hmm. okay, we're done talking about Lemon. Let's talk about the real star of this game, Leo, the White Knight. Uh, um, is, I love that he's apparently everyone's favorite. He he is technically the you know the sec maybe the second or third character you meet in the game since uh, you see him riding on his yep. big shiny dragon ship uh, right after Alex and Ruby uh, Hero and Ruby. Damn it, happened again. <laughs> uh, after Hero and Ruby escape the tower, <laughs> um, and he starts out as you know being a very Dudley Do Right kind of uh, um, yep. righteous guy who's trying his Pressure best. Cop. He's he's very uh, you know he he's he's very devoted. Um, he's you know he's the Inspector Zenigata to yeah. to Hiro's Lupin the Third maybe. He really but, enjoys saying the name of his ship a lot. 
Yes. Which I love. I always love. Full name, Dragonship Destiny. The Dragonship Destiny. And I imagine him half yelling it every time he says it. But yeah, he's he's always pursuing the party. He has he's an old friend of Ronfar's. He he seems like a good guy who's sort of working for bad people, and that yeah, becomes he's a long ex- yeah, and ex- that becomes extremely clear to everyone when he uh, you know you deal with the fires going on in Azado, and then he helps you through what's going on in Pentagulia, and then has his real character moment when he imprisons Hero, but then rescues him wearing a mask and is now identifies as hero of justice miss stare <laughs> uh, such a good I, moment I, i'm it's... pretty sure you're, you're i think that's leo a different character right? Mysterio oh yeah no you're right character than leo mm-hmm. yeah Clearly. you know it, it's weird they have similar hair but i, I guess they are separate i mean well, maybe, maybe in the second half of the game it'll be clear totally different that, that leo and mystere are uh you know separated identical twins or, or maybe separated fraternal twins i don't maybe i'll have to double check their hair and it is curious that um, both Mister and Leo wield um, Dine's sword and have identical equipment and stats, except for the mask that Mister wears. <laughs> Whoa! But you know, it's a big world. We've all got doppelgangers. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. I wonder what would happen if Leo and Mister got uh, were were to meet, because I mean, they, their ideals are similar. As we speak, I think they'd be friends. <laughs> Did they get along? Okay. Yeah, they get along. Oh, Leo would throw him in the dungeon. But, but they both no, believe in, they they both they, believe they, in they, justice, though. Yeah, they're justice. It's all about justice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, <laughs> they both have identical sword techniques, so at least they could be training buddies, at least. <laughs> that is true. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I love Leo and Mystere, whether they're the same character or not. And, um... And I also enjoy that when you uh, in the events of Pentagulia, when you rescue Ron Fargine and Lemina, they both immediately subscribe to the Mystere things. Like, oh, so you're Mystere now? Okay, great. Let's get out of here. Yeah, you're totally Leo. <laughs> but, oh, okay. You want to do this? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the immediate acceptance of that. Uh, but uh, I've been uh, talking far too much already on this podcast. Uh, Leona, what are your um, thoughts on the similarly named to you, Leo? Uh, yeah, like it's a match made in heaven, right? i love leo um leo's probably my favorite character so far um he's got this really like when you first meet him you think he's this probably hard-ass person general person but he's actually quite nice he's quite sweet but also gullible because like when you first meet lucia and you come down from the blue spire uh you run into Leo and he's also like, oh, who's this girl? And he was like, oh, I just happened to run into her at the top of the tower. Nothing destroyer here. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, I'll, I'll go check then. And he's like, okay, I'll just walk away now. It also comes up later. Like, also, he just believes Ron Farr's lies as well. Just a constant repeating of lies that he just trusts 100%. <laughs> and doesn't when he rushes back into the tower while you're exiting Disney says, "Come on, we must fight Lucia the Destroyer," because yeah. <laughs> he, he, he didn't pick up that Lucia's uh, what Lucia's name was when he briefly met you. Yep. <laughs> oh man, yeah, he's he's gullible, but he's also very capable. Like he, it's communicated from the beginning. He's strong. He's one of the strongest fighters in the world. But oh, yeah. he's also kind of this goof. And yeah. uh, um, I, I love Leo. He's I, I find him really fun. Uh, uh, Rob, what are your thoughts on Leo? Leo's a cop. Um, he's also <laughs> like a stooge, but he doesn't—he doesn't mean it. I don't know. He needs to like—he would benefit from like unlearning his behavior that um, justice does not 
like he believes that justice means upholding um, orders and the status quo, and he needs to like unlearn that anarchist corner here. Um, <laughs> and you know, fortunately, he can be brought around because he does have this this goodness in him. He believes that he's doing the right thing, and you know, he has to have this big. Um, he has to be confronted with the fact that the interests that he is, is serving are not those on truly on the side of, you know, like justice and doing well. Uh, but he's extremely charming. Um, he's Ron Farr's best friend and him and Ron Farr have to like deal with this, you know, like doing the right thing is going to cause a rift in their friendship. Um, and he's, oh, he's great, isn't he? <laughs> he's yeah, really, he's really great. great. <laughs> Basically, I totally agree. Scott, let's, let's continue the Leo love train. Yeah, I, I like Leo. I like Leo a lot. I mean, he has one of the better arcs in the game, toward the end of the game. Um, mm. But early on, you feel like he's like, you know, he's, he's a jerk. You know, get away from me. You, or you play him like, a, like it's like a like a Saturday morning cartoon villain where he's like, you know, oh, you're just going to escape from him. Oh, we're going to silently walk away. And then eventually you come around, you really like him. And then uh, you realize he's he's not so uptight as he is. He's a little uptight. He's still uptight toward the end of the game. But um, <laughs> he's just, you know, he's kind of a fun character. Like His I constant said, chasing of you really drives the plot forward really yes, yes. in an effective manner. And he, he's actually, despite losing you a bunch of times, he's actually pretty good at tracking you for most of the time. Mm. He knows you know, again, exactly he's capable and he's he's good at his job. And you see him a lot in this game. He gets a uh, uh, he gets a lot of screen time as sort of a rival and a villain early on. But you see the change happen uh, in him, cul maybe culminating in his uh, in the appearance of Mystere, who we're still not 100% sure if Mystere is Leo or not, I guess. But uh, I, I really like his arc and um, feel that Leo slash Mystere is are a great character. Uh, Chris, are you also into as into Leo as the rest of us seem to be? Yeah, I mean, someone just said it right now. Absolutely, he is the motivating force of why the hell you're doing anything and moving along with the story, which I do appreciate because there's a good sense of urgency to the game because of his constant nipping at your heels. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, he starts off very one note, but clearly with the intent of slowly revealing there's more to him. And I do appreciate what they do with the character. Uh, I do like him. He's funny. Uh, there's a lot of great little moments of either stupidity or just bullheaded pride getting him in the getting in the way and kind of ruining what he's trying to accomplish. Uh, I did really like with the setup of the game how you have, and I don't mean to mention another character we haven't gotten to yet, but how he is so clearly stronger than you, Leo, that is. And then when you have the moment outside of the Mystic Ruins, when he gets absolutely devastated, it's a great foreshadowing of like, oh, we have this other thing in this world that is way stronger than this guy that is clearly superpowered to us at this point. Yeah, let's talk about him right now, because when you go to the Mystic Ruins after Leo uh, foils your escape attempt to get to Pentagulia, you meet Galleon at the top of that tower. Mm -hmm. uh, Galleon, the final boss of Lunar 1, uh, who has returned for unclear reasons. It's clear that Zophar has uh, abetted this return, but we're not. Uh, it's not 100% clear what he's doing, but um, when you go to Pentagulia, it's revealed that Galleon is the current Dragon Master, which seems crazy because that, that comes as a surprise to Hero at all, and uh, shouldn't the entire world know who the Dragon Master is? And shouldn't the entire world be concerned mm. that it's the same person that almost ended the world a thousand years ago? Mm -hmm. That all seems a little bonkers to me. But uh, I don't think 
Galleon likes being called the Dragon Master. No, he yeah, he yeah, but he 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 says he says that um at the near the end of the Pentagulia segment. Yeah. But is it's weird to me that Leo seemed clear. Oh yeah. Um. Oh yeah. Galleon. Nice to see you again. But the entire the rest of the world doesn't seem to know about Galleon. Like it was a surprise for Hero to well, see Galleon, right? Well, the, you have Galleon to remember that no character. one remembers really what's happened a thousand years ago because even Gwyn at the beginning of the game, for being the as knowledgeable as he is, when certain things are referenced, he's still like, I, you know, I think mm. I read about that once. So yeah, to an extent, there is but, that knowledge that oh yeah, so, all so, so, of yeah. that has so, been so washed Hero, in the world. Yeah, so Hero has clear knowledge of it because he has read the Alex the Dragon Master story over and yes. over, probably. Okay. Yeah, yes. does, does, does Lemina reacts as well, doesn't she? Because he's yes. the one who knocked Vayne out of the sky. Right, yeah, yeah so, so she, she would be keenly aware of it too, but maybe the rest of the world at large isn't as aware as Hero mm. or Lemina. Well, what okay. was the... it? Because I like... How's What's the name back? for Galleon as the as the bad guy? His term was the what lord in the first game? The Magic Emperor. Oh, that's magic that's what it was. Magic Emperor. He's, so not, I do not wonder just the if Magic Emperor Quark, the Galleon. Yeah, sorry, right, the Magic Emperor. But I, I that's why I'm just curious if, in the sake of some of the stories, when people are referencing the story of Alex the Dragon Master, yeah, is it just sure. in those writings the Magic Emperor versus the actual name of Galleon? Because Galleon was a one of the you know was supposed to be a good guy. Yeah, I don't it's, know. It's possible that, it's one that of those history, things of what history, is the lore of your universe versus... It's yeah, possible yeah. that history remembered Galleon as one of the four heroes and the Magic Emperor mm, as the exactly. opponent of Alex, I, um, I, I guess. But still, I, I was a little surprised that it was taken in stride that Galleon was a current good guy and servant of the goddess. Uh, but then that's, yeah. the, again, the first few minutes of you visiting Pentagulia. And I'm also not 100% sure of his um, motivations. Like, why did he save hero from uh leo did did, did he oh, yeah. want lucia to go was, to pentagulia yeah he said he was guiding them to pentagulia all right i don't dig galleon in this game at all it feels cheap um and we'll we'll get into that later as he makes more of an appearance um mm -hmm. I think Leona will probably agree with me that um, I'm delighted that like his awful overblown dialogue is back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like when you when you first see him, he his, says his like script is very delightfully nasal and I don't know. Oh. The world will be mine on a delicious half shell. I mean, what is he, Shredder? I mean John Truitt. There was a blue the, planet named Luna. John Truitt is the voice of Galleon. He is. Yeah. He does it. He plays it up, and he, he nails plays it. the hammy. The hammy. If he went the a little thing, more nasal, he could be a good Skeletor. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Beautiful. At the very start of the game, that's his voice, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I was immediately like on edge. I was like, no, no, he can't be back. <laughs> All that, like, fear well, of just like, oh no, more cheesy lines. <laughs> well, Galleon does come back, um, but one other player, uh, player, excuse me, one other character that does come back from Lunar, and I think that uh, his inclusion is maybe a little bit more justifiable, is Null, uh, who yeah. was, you know, uh, Alex's baby dragon friend who becomes the new white dragon at the end of Lunar 1. He's now the current white dragon. He's taking care of orphans outside of Meribia. He's kind of a, he's kind of a Peter Pan that has a better graduation program mm. in place. <laughs> Very, um, Sorry, You're not just killed. Yeah, he doesn't hold on to children forever. He lets them grow up and has them, you know, come back to help out once in a while. It's like it's, it's, it, Null's, Null's a decent operation going for him. For uh, for him, but during the events around Meribia, uh, the party meets Null. They uh, see him taking care of all these orphans, and then they foil a plot by the Shadow Dragon Cult. Is that? Am I getting that right? That's right. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the Shadow Dragon Cult. For a second, maybe I was conflating it with Fire Emblem briefly, but the plan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They they foil that plan. Um, it's uh, it's uh, you, you get some character moments out of Jean. She doesn't want any more children to be like her, and uh, it, it comes out very very quickly. I mean, I, I'm not I'm shocked that uh, that I ever didn't think this, but Lun is secretly the leader of the shadow of the Shadow Dragon Cult. Did you not pick up on that? No, no. I, I think when I first played it, I didn't think about it. Um, but I, uh, but so I, again, it was like it was fourteen or fifteen years ago. I'm not sure yeah. about it. But like, I, I was just thinking, how is this unclear to anybody? It should be very obvious. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like so, uh, we'll get to Pentagulia a little more in a few minutes. But first, Null. Uh, I, I sort of liked seeing Null again. Are, are, are we agreeing on agreeing on this, or do yeah? We sort yeah. Of, okay, yeah, cool. It creates a wonderful again. It, to me, it goes back to lore and that idea of there is a really cool through line from first game to second game, which sometimes in sequels it's it's a little bit more in the background, and I actually appreciate that because it makes it feel uh, like the there's enough touchstones from that previous world that it's not just uh, I don't know. Totally. Lip service. Yeah, I love two things about when you meet Nog. One that you meet Nog again. Two that you meet him. What is on like an overgrown, you know, like it's been there for a thousand years. It's the grindery. You, you, you're actually Tavis yeah. Peak is the grindery. It's just been sitting there for a thousand years, and people are like, yeah. maybe we should take this down. You know, it shot the thing out of the sky. You know, maybe we should remove it. No, no one. For a thousand years, everyone's like, you know, screw it. We'll leave it there. Too big. Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean there's dragon bones in there? Possible. Oh, maybe. Yeah. It's kind of morbid when you think that now the dragon is just sitting on top of all these dead dragons. Including his his parent or his predecessor yeah, in there? that was mentioned. And then I never got that in the first game that Quark was Nal's dad or mom, whatever. I mean, Nal did grow up right next to Quark. Yeah, as mm. abandonment, I guess. <laughs> maybe, maybe dragons produce maybe asexually? Dad. What's the fun in that, though? <laughs> There's also another like nice little line from now. I don't know how much I've never played this. I don't know if they go into it later in the game, but like when Nal's talking to Ruby about not getting too attached, I thought that was a nice little emotional moment that maybe Nal got oh. too attached to Alex and Luna and everyone, yeah, and I they think... all died. I think they do address that a little bit. Null's lonely, and he and he takes care of all of these orphans because he misses Alex and Luna. And uh, maybe they mention it more in the second half because I I specifically remember that. There's yeah. a little bit more going on between why Null says that, um, and um, <laughs> let's just say that Null might have a little bit of a crush going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Ruby, mm-hmm. Ruby, Ruby might Ruby be the has, first person Ruby that he's a crush uh, on hero. So yeah, Ruby likes hero, and Null might like Ruby, but Ruby might also be the first dragon he's seen in a thousand years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's unclear. The blue, and, yeah, the blue and the black. They, I mean, he must have met the blue and the black dragon a bunch of times. I mean, maybe. they hung out at least we, one. We, we don't know. I mean, did they yeah, did they all know. die in the dra- grindery? They there might be baby blue and black dragons out there that we haven't met. Um, it's a lot can happen in a thousand years. True. And I'm not an expert on the lifespan and, uh, you know, um, species behavior of lunar dragons, but... Yeah, very specifically lunar dragons. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it is cool to see Null again. And, uh, I, I, but his arc is, I think, a little, a little sad because, I mean, he takes mm. care of these orphans and 
tries to, you know, make them into good adults when uh, he clearly misses Alex and Luna. It's a little sweet. Yeah, it's really sad. But I like it. It's a nice, it's a He's nice art. Work. But speaking of dragons, um, the second half of the game begins with uh, each of the um, four dragons uh, basically seeking out the four auras of the four dragons so that they, uh, um, the party can use the power of the dragons to crack the goddess tower that Zophar is almost holding hostage or the goddess power that's being held hostage. Um, Lucia wants to access that power. It's unclear exactly what she can do with it because, again, it's, uh, it's implied that um, using the power of humans might not be something that the humans like when, uh, they, when uh, Lucia's being confronted by the fake goddess in Pentagulia. And also it sort, of, it sort of neatly works out that each one of the four main characters other than Lucia corresponds to one of the four heroes. Yeah, in the game, like because <laughs> Leo's been chasing Hero for the entire game. Uh, um, Ronfar's ex-girlfriend Maori is the Red mm -hmm. Priestess. Uh, the black, the black mage Borgen kidnaps Lemina's mother and is ruling from a uh, a, a place called Neovane and and you know is casting the original vein aside, which is you know defining Lemina's character and the blue drag the blue dragon master or sorry the hero the blue dragon hero is. Uh, Jean's former master slash oppressor and also Master Lun of Meribia. So, like, it, each one of them neatly corresponds to one of the four heroes, and mm. at least uh, Ronfar, Jean, and Lemina will have not a total resolution, but some resolution to their personal stories when you confront them one by one in Disc yeah. 2. Which Quite is, literal confrontation of yeah, their it, it's, um, I, I think they're uh, they're great. I have. Um, I remember thinking that those three confrontations were really cool parts of Lunar Two. But again, it's been a mm, long time. Cool. I really like Pentagulia as a whole. Like I like the whole. Yeah. Chapter. The, Pentagulia mm -hmm. is a turning point because you meet this false goddess. You realize that Althena is not. The power of Althena is still in Lunar Two, but it's being misappropriated, and that Zophar is basically has basically turned the Church of Athena into a cult to Zophar, and mm -hmm. it. Uh, so it it sets plot stakes. It um it sets you know character motivations. Pentagulia is a really cool part of the game and really sets up the second half of the game in a meaningful so way. The, the and, organ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, we did, we didn't really have um each of the characters corresponding to the four heroes in Lunar One, no. and so I think having them as like another side of the coin and the four heroes being antagonists this time around, I think was a really really smart move. Yeah, it, it makes them feel like more yeah. fully-fledged characters in mm. uh, in this game. Because in Lunar 1, the four heroes are basically people of the past. Mm -hmm. They're um, they're venerated, but and at the end of the game, like and uh, going back to Lunar 1, at the, near the beginning of Lunar 1, when you get to Meribia, there's uh, four children pretending to be the four heroes. And then at mm. the end of the game, those same four children are pretending to be... Um, or maybe it's five children because it's the dragon master. Uh, they are pretending to be the the you know the characters in the in your party, mm. like like ha I'm ba I'm Kyle the bandit hero kind of thing mm -hmm. at the, uh, at the end of Moribia. So I'm I, I think maybe it's traditional in this lunar world to have four to have a group of heroes as you know the with the world's caretakers or guardians. But like you said, Rob. Um, now the heroes are sort of tools of the evil status quo instead mm. of being, you know, real bastions of justice like the main characters of Lunar One. And it's an, 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 it's an interesting turn, and I kind of, you know, maybe it's because I like multicolored teams of superheroes, but uh, it, it's nice having, you know, the, having the, the, you know, the pins lined up to be knocked down in the second half of the game. Mm-hmm. 
I, I really dig it, and I'm excited to go and play more of it. So, uh, again, we're running, uh, we're, we're not running too long, but I don't want this podcast to turn into a two-hour marathon. Um, uh, starting with you, Leona, like, how excited are you, or how interested are you in playing through the second half of Lunar 2, and maybe tell us one hope or expectation that you have for the second half? Oh, um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, as, as after Pentagolia, like as you said, the stakes are now made clear. I'm interested in knowing some finer plot points, like who this fake goddess is and stuff like that. Um, Expectation-wise, or what I'd like to happen, you know, apart from just more Leo, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, Chris. Same to you as our other Lunar Two newbie. I'm very excited for the for the rest of this game. Uh, like I said before, this is one of those series, and specifically one of those games that I've wanted to check off for forever. But beyond that, it's just everything. Everyone we've met so far, everyone we follow, the writing, the world itself. I find it so charming. I really do. I, and I. That's part of why I love. Moments like having Null here and other characters or references from the first game is that I, th- I find it such a wonderful little world to keep exploring. So I'm excited to see what happens next. All right, Rob. Um, I don't know. I'm not exactly certain how long it's been since you played Lunar 2. but 23 this... years. Literally, that's so scary. Oh, yikes. Yeah. For, wow. Again, for me, I think it's 14. And for you, 23. That's an integer larger than 14. So is it... Um, meeting exceeding failing expectations and memories or uh, um, uh, uh, early, uh, impressions after playing through half i seem to remember it being a lot more dramatic um but i think that was probably the fact that i was 10 um <laughs> uh i am enjoying it a lot i'm enjoying it a lot more than silver star harmony let's not i won't talk about that anymore i've had my say <laughs> um I, Lunar One had such a profound influence on me when it came out, so it feels strange that I never actually beat this game. Um, so I'm looking forward to having round two against Borgen and seeing how the rest of the plot shakes out, and you know, finally actually firsthand seeing this epilogue that everybody's raving about. So uh, I'm really keyed up to uh, to get through this one. Right on, and Scott, maybe this is a less complicated. Uh, answer than the rest of the questions from the past minute or so. Is Lunar 2 still one of the top two games of all time? Yes. Got it. All right. <laughs> I'm excited to hear what you guys. Well, I'm excited to uh, by Chris and Miona, and I, I wonder what they what they think afterward. And I'm I'm not looking forward to going through Neovan again. Just giving you guys a heads up. Oh, oh really? Good, good to know. I, I appreciate that. Actually. I am looking forward to. Uh, uh, Never, it's, to, 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 Gene, to Gene versus Lund again because I love a good tournament arc. Let's just say yeah. I, I know probably why Robert didn't beat the game because Borgen that boss fight is oh my god, fun. it is not fun. Especially are you playing the PS one version or are you playing? I'm the, playing the PS one version this okay. time. The PS one version is much easier than okay. The Doesn't version. have the uh, the five targets all casting spells no. on you this he, time. It's much easier. He's still hard. But mm-hmm. that whole area of the game is very... Once you get past that, the game gets easier, but... Hmm. Okay. Well, that's a relief. <laughs> and again, I, I don't want to spoil too much for Chris and Leona, but again, the um, Lunar 2 has a lengthy epilogue after uh, you play the main game that is almost like a third act. If if everything yeah. through um, Pentagulia's Act 1 and Pentagulia through Zophar is Act 2, there's more game to play. This is... Uh, Lunar 2 is about a 30-hour game, while Lunar 1 is about a 20-hour game. And I think my clock was around 
12 or 13 hours when I um, saved in the middle of the White Dragon Cave for this podcast. But I'll, yeah. I'll probably play that later tonight because I got <laughs> because we got to have another podcast next week, don't we? Those oh, yeah, we do. Yes. And I guess that means we've discussed Lunar 2 enough for now, but there's more to come later. Next week we are going to have a second episode all about Lunar 2. We will talk about the endgame, we will talk about the epilogue, and we will have abridged thoughts on all of those characters. Um, but following that, in the month of August, we have five episodes lined up. They haven't all recorded yet, but... Um, it, they're in the all in the planning stages. We're going to have one episode about uh, worlds and favorite places in RPGs, one episode all about Final Fantasy VII, not the game, but more like the future of Final Fantasy VII, and then two episodes about Shadow Hearts. That's not Shadow Hearts Covenant. We did uh, two episodes on that one about a year and a half ago. Um, we have a new team, a new panel, playing through the original Shadow Hearts over two episodes and uh, I cannot wait to hear that discussion because I, I really liked Shadow Hearts 2 when I played it for the first time last year. And Shadow Hearts 1 I'm a little less excited about, but definitely curious about. But um, Shadow Hearts is going to bookend a very special episode because episode 150 of, RP of RPG Fans Retro Encounter will take place this August. So, and uh, I think we're going to make episode 150 a all-reader mail episode. So uh, maybe you heard a... Uh, Maybe you heard a primer at the beginning of this episode, but um, please send us emails using retro at RPGfan.com, whether it's an open-ended uh, question or discussion topic or a suggestion for a game for a future episode or just any kind of directed question. We, um, if you send us an email and it doesn't have any you know, outwardly hateful content in it, then we will air it on that episode. Um, so let's get into housekeeping. RPG Fan has a lot more than just Retro Encounter. There are forums. There is the at RPG Fancom Twitter. There is a Facebook page. There is a Discord server. There is an Instagram page. There's another podcast called Retro Encounter. And there's Twitch streaming going on basically every day of the week. Scott, uh, is it five, at least five or six days of... Um, every day. Every day. All right. Twitch every streams day. every got, day. Uh, there's a bunch of us streaming. I do a lot of it um, every day. <laughs> streaming every day uh we if i were to read the current streaming menu it would probably be outdated by the time this episode comes out so please go to rpg fans front page to see what the streaming schedule is for that week or visit rpg fans twitch page and see what's going on uh plus let's see what else we have oh yeah um listeners please review us on itunes or google play or wherever you're getting this podcast because any constructive criticism is helpful to us and uh all, you can also send an email to retro at rpgfan.com like i mentioned before we will read all feedback and respond to most of it and uh i think that's about us for the site now let's go for the individual side um starting with you rob how can listeners reach you uh the best place to find me is on twitter at misanthrobob hit me all up right. and leona your turn uh best place to find me is on our discord server i run the discord server uh star mongoose is my username i'm also on twitter under the same name we also have a podcast sort of uh a channel to discuss podcasts so oh, that's right yeah and talk about the podcast there all right and chris how can listeners find you at chris Gebauer on twitter uh yeah that's usually the easiest way to find me okay scott your turn how can listeners reach out to you I do not have a Twitter or Facebook or anything like that, but you can find me on the RPG Fan Twitch stream almost every day, and you can find me on Discord, too. You can talk to me whenever. Right on. Now, 
me, I probably have all of these things. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at the Real Monsoon. I also have a second Twitter at Evoker for Dogs when I get extra weird. And I'm on uh, I'm on Discord as Monsoon Mike. I think yeah, maybe Monsoon underscore Mike. I don't know if it, if it says Monsoon or Mike in the Discord. It's probably yeah. me. And I'm I'm still on the forums as Monsoon, but I I barely visit the forums anymore. There's there's just too much social media for me to engage with. Some of it has to fall by the wayside, and it's usually the forums. <laughs> So I cannot wait to talk to all four of you again next week about Lunar 2, but in the meantime, I need to get back on my PS2 and actually, you know, play through it so I can talk about it with some, with at least some expertise. Yeah, seriously. Again, I, yeah. I've yeah. got to finish it because, like, we're, me and Chris are the new guys, so we've got to actually finish it to talk about it. <laughs> you, must, you must finish the game. Yeah. I will, not yeah. Accept, I will not accept you guys not finishing. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Well, that sounded like a threat. So, yeah, uh, it wasn't a threat. It was... So maybe I should end the podcast and start playing it again. Uh, listeners, <laughs> thank you. Good night and good luck. <laughs>